Hey, what's up? Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I am Jamie Dodd. My co-host is Canucks Insider Thomas Durance, who also covers the team for the Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet? What are you waiting for? 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, Canucks game day, Drance, which means, of course, time for two hours of Elias Pettersson speculation here on the show. <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> Did you did you see there was like a first take controversy involving JJ Redick during the NBA All Star break? Yes, yes. And where he was complaining that uh, when he does like really nitty gritty tactical analysis of fifty thousand views, how teams are defending the pick and roll, yeah, small numbers. But then you throw the headline of somebody, and it's like JJ Redick is fed up with LeBron James, yeah. and like the thumbnail looks like his head's about to explode, and ever you know millions of views, or like calls out Doc Rivers for a lack. I feel like that's this is the Canucks version of this. There's like a mystery behind it. There's like a, it's an enigmatic player, a player who fans have really connected with, and we don't have an answer. No one has the answer. Team doesn't seem to have the answer. So it like I don't know. It almost feels like true crime or something. Like it's wild how um, how this has becomes just so intoxicating to everyone who covers or is interested in this team yeah and look i was joking not i'm sure the topic of Elias special will come up in some capacity at some point this show but uh, we are going to do our best to look there'll be other times where this flares up for whatever reason there are reports there are rumors out there and we will cover them because as you said it's really interesting there's a reason everyone's talking about it it's a big deal it's really interesting but as mentioned it's a canucks game day so there's lots else to get into here let's start with the whiteboard all right now fellas hey let's focus up huh it is your daily deep dive into what's up with the canucks it's today february 27th starting with the headlines yeah there's a hockey game the canucks host the short-handed pittsburgh penguins at rogers arena looking to build on saturday's win against boston and Interesting time for these two teams to match up. Obviously, we all know about the extensive connections between the Canucks and the Pittsburgh Penguins at every level of the organization. Um, but also trade rumors, right? We'll get into this more in the broadsheet section of the whiteboard, but the Canucks still in on Jake Gensel. Now, he's not going to play tonight. He's injured, so it's not a, a preview opportunity or anything like that. But still, when there's this you know, this many things connecting the teams, uh, that makes it really interesting. And then of course it's also Sidney Crosby making his lone appearance at Rogers arena this year, barring, I guess, a Stanley cup final between these two teams. They played such a fun game in Pittsburgh in January and the vibe around that game, right? Where the Canucks were coming in riding high after demolishing mm -hmm. Manhattan, like, I don't know, Godzilla from the 1996 Matthew Broderick remake. Remember sure. remember that movie they make the yep. the villain 
into Roger Ebert for no reason. Uh, yeah, perhaps yeah, yeah. anticipating and there was a, the reviews. There was a Siskel uh, stand-in too, I believe. Was there? Yeah, because I forget who the, the name of the director, but he hated Siskel and Ebert, so he made them. He inserted stand-in characters. You're right. The other thing I remember from that movie is the uh, the Puff Daddy. Uh, Come with me, Jimmy Page. The video of Jimmy Page on the uh, Times Square. Sorry, the best part about it. Awesome. The best part of two is the cashmere sample. Yeah, that like played on the radio all summer. Also, randomly had Godzilla noises. (laughs) Anyway. Wow, that was a very good. Good, good tangent for a, us. That was great. You, you grew up in the 90s or something, bro? <laughs> anyway, the Canucks were riding so high going into that game, and it delivered. It was a game filled with ill intent, bad feeling, back and forth, physical. You know, the emotional win over Boston aside, uh, Philly had an emotional win over Philadelphia. Pittsburgh did. Pittsburgh yep. did, sorry. Yep. The Battle of Pennsylvania, Sheets versus Wawa, and you know, it, but but it doesn't feel like the Canucks are coming into this game with the same level of like wind at their back. You know, that was the moment leading into that game where I really started to wonder, like, hey, is this Canucks team elite? Mm-hmm. Like, truly elite? And I I don't feel like they've still played well since but i don't feel like their form has necessarily delivered on the promise of that giddy week in new york in mid january well you want to get back on a roll right? you want to get back on a roll the win over boston that's all well and good that was a big deal that it was, was an, super fun it was an important win it was really yeah. fun first and foremost it meant for a the lot. fans it, it you could see how that could spark a run of confidence but you have to keep that going. Otherwise, it's going to be back to, oh, well, they've lost five of their last six, and hey, that win against Boston, that was cool, but you've still lost five of your last six, and you've got L.A. coming in on Thursday. You're playing a ton of good teams down the stretch here. You you, you don't want the Boston game to be a blip. You want to turn the four-game losing streak into the blip and get back on your on, on a typical Canucks roll here. Yeah, the the sense of being like back below 500 for the all, since the All-Star break, yes. right? Um, anyway. Sidney Crosby playing in the city, playing in this building where he won the gold medal. Mm-hmm. Um, Just a day off from the, the Iggy, Iggy, Iggy play. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, that's special. And I think that, like, we should ruminate on that. We should really take a moment and just be like, tonight, the greatest player of our generation and, and a player who scored the most his, the most important goal in the history of Vancouver sports, like the, the most important moment sporting-wise, that's ever happened in the city, authored by Crosby. He'll play here tonight. Just enjoy it. I mean, how many more of these yep. do we get? We don't know. Yeah, you know? He's got one more year left on his contract. I mean, he's still playing at an extraordinarily high he's level. He's incredibly sick. But you also never know, right, with all-time greats, sometimes because they're all-time greats, they they can decline and keep playing for a long time because even as they decline, they're still really good. But sometimes you want to go out as close to on top as you can, right? Yep. You don't want to go through that decline period. So you have to enjoy these moments, these games, uh, when they come along for a legend. And a legend with a really cool connection to the city and the building they're mm-hmm. playing in tonight, uh, like Sidney Crosby. Um, do you want to get into the power play stuff in lineups? We'll do that in okay. the lineup notes, yeah, the power play uh, shuffle. And the only other thing I'll say, and we'll talk about this more um, 
in the playoff forecast section of the whiteboard is uh, Edmonton won last night. So, you, you know, you're not just trying to get on a role for your own purposes so you feel good about your own game, but you're trying to hold serve in the Pacific Division. You're still significant favorites, and again, we'll talk about this in the playoff forecast, but you want to run out that clock on the season as much as possible. Hold serve with the Edmonton Oilers who beat the LA Kings last night. All right, to the rumors, the broadsheet. A uh, couple of things to pass along here. First, from Rick Dollywall, our pal at Donnie and Dolly, and he'll be on the on, on the show uh, for the crossover tomorrow with Don Taylor, reporting today that the Canucks still very much interested in Jake Gensel, but would only give up a first-round pick for Gensel in a sign-and-trade situation, which matches what we were hearing from Elliot Friedman yesterday. Not that they're not in on big things still. They're still very much considering big moves like a Jake Gensel one would be, but they only want to give up a significant haul of assets like they did for Elias Lindholm, if it's a player with term on their deal, uh, or if it's somebody they can sign. Chris Tanner springs to mind. Dollywell putting Jake Gensel in that situation as well, where it's not that they're not interested. They're still in on it. They're still checking in. They're still pursuing it. It just has to meet that parameter of, okay, well, we'd have to sign him uh, in addition just to acquire him because he is a pending UFA. Now, that does bring us back to Elias Pettersson because – I don't really I, – I, it's it's hard for me to envision a situation where you acquire Jake Gensel, sign him to an extension before the offseason, before he becomes a UFA, while this uncertainty works – exists around Elias Pettersson. Yes. Because there's so much – like, it's going to be a big number to sign Jake Gensel. Can you – commit that money without knowing what you're paying Elias Patterson. Now, I'm not saying that takes Jake Gensel off the table, but I think that illustrates one of the many reasons why we're talking about this Elias Patterson situation, because it directly impacts what they may or may not try to do with a player like Jake Gensel ahead of the deadline. Yeah. Um, Gensel's going to be really expensive to sign, and he's 29. I mean, you would need to be making some really tough decisions elsewhere in your lineup in order to extend him. That said, there are some tough decisions that this club may may welcome. I mean, it doesn't have to be Pedersen that you move off of necessarily to sign Gensel at, you know, what, eight million? Yeah, something nine like that. million, something eight, like eight that. And a half, yep. Um, you know, it could be it could be an indicator of how the club feels about Ilya Mikheyev. It mm-hmm. could be an indicator that this club's going to try and go more affordably in reconstructing their blue line. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it it could mean that Brock Besser. In this, if you're talking about the summer, sure, not right now, or right? the, or the, or or even Heronix next deal, mm-hmm. right? So that's a fair point. So you're saying you could see a a, a a path to acquiring Gensel, signing him, even without knowing what where you're going with Pedersen. Yeah, I mean, oh, if that, like look, look for, that takes some guts if you're doing that. Uh, and now Rutherford has guts, yeah. so it's the time for guts too. You know, the organization will tell you. That the Pedersen situation won't impact how they approach the deadline, but uh, you know how could it not, right? And and one there's there's two sides of this, right? In in my mind anyway, the first is if you have any doubt, then you should go all in with like a degree of recklessness. <laughs> you know, like we can. Ex- that's been that's been a part of my pitch. You're right. Since November, uh, it, it like has. If you have even a little bit of doubt about Elias Pedersen's future. This is the time. <laughs> Strike while the iron is hot and you have him on your team. A take was great at the time. It's it's only aged better. Like it's only gotten better. Like uh, like a fine wine. Good for you, Thank bud. Thank you. No, truly. So I think of myself. It's an incredible take. It, it, 
And then the other side of it is that you've got this method of restocking. You know what I mean? It's not like you're not going to get more back anyway that you than you'd part with. Now you get worse, but you you know what I'm saying? Like, right. To some extent, you can deal more because you're going to get so much back in in a world where things break against you on the Pedersen file. Like, you know, in in every respect, all of this should push them in some ways to be more aggressive. Not that Rutherford needs a nudge. Uh, and that no, you, it's like oh, you're saying I have to be aggressive in this situation. Interesting. That's mm. like that's like, that's like someone being like, you know, um, like when I go to my. Uh, wife's Nona's house and she's like do you want seconds it's like yeah do I <laughs> just just put it aside for me yes I do want seconds uh, th- I don't need to encourage a- me along those lines of just blocking out things in advance so somebody texts in could you theoretically just block out 20 million for Heronic and Petey you certainly can but I guess it's also a question of like do you want to sign 29 year old Jake Gensel long term as much as I'm saying can you do it and sign Petey do you want to sign Jake Gensel at, at his age long term if PD isn't here. Like that's the other part of the conversation, right? So yeah, you can block out the salary and say, okay, if we're paying those two guys 20 million, what do we have left? How does Gensel fit into that picture? Where would we have to make the other sacrifices? The salary is one component of it. A big component, the direction of the team is a huge component as well. And that like that's another part of this decision. Do you want to be signing a UFA like Jake Gensel uh, when you don't know where the direction of the team might be going after this summer? So that's another question they got to answer. The other thing I wanted to pass on, um, well, first of all, from uh, from Rick Dollywall, you know, just another update on Phil Kessel skating. He's been skating for a while now, a couple of weeks with the Abbotsford Canucks, and plan is still, if if he, if it all goes to plan, <laughs> sign him. If, unless something weird happens, there you will see Phil Kessel sign with the Vancouver Canucks at some point. Uh, on the other note, on Gensel. Elliot Friedman reporting uh, that Vegas is in on Jake Gensel as well. This is on the Jeff Merrick show today. And scary. that's a scary prospect. I do wonder how much that influences the Canucks, right? Because, you know, there's a similar dynamic here with Chris Tanev, where we've heard Edmonton is really interested in Chris Tanev, right? And now you hear another high-powered division rival in Vegas, which has the Mark Stone situation, all of a sudden interested in Jake Gensel. And not that you go out and make a panic move to try to keep players like that away from your rivals, but I think it has to factor in that you're not just acquiring a Jake Gensel or a Chris Tanev. You're also preventing teams that you are very likely going to have to beat if you want to go deep in the playoffs from significantly bolstering their roster as well. The amount of teams... In Vancouver's milieu, in their rough sort of mm-hmm. um, atmosphere in, in terms of being contenders in the West, that are just flush suddenly with LTI space. Yeah. And that are want to go for it. Yeah. Right? Like Dallas, we've heard on Tanev, you know, as I said, Edmonton, uh, Vegas on Gensel, like Winnipeg's already traded for Monaghan. They're, they're maybe interested in Tanev as well. I know Merrick has made this point uh, on in his various appearances, but it does feel like, for whatever reason, the West is just generally more vo- motivated to be aggressive this year. And I do think that changes the calculus for a team like the Canucks, right? Mm-hmm. You have to be aware of what um, what the other teams around you, what your potential rivals are doing. And look, if you uh, Jake Gensel makes six million dollars, so there'd have to be money going out. They would only give it would be a, still a significant package, right? Likely involving next year's first round pick. There's a lot of hurdles to that deal happening, 
but also Jake Gensel is awesome. So <laughs> if you can do that and keep him away from Vegas, I think that would be pretty fun as well. Anything else quickly on the broadsheet before we move on? Nope. All right. Lineup notes. Morning skate today. Very interesting one ahead of this Pittsburgh Penguins game. Uh, from an even strength perspective, Rick Tockett deciding to keep Saturday's winning lineup together, but... Major changes on the power play. We all know about the Canucks' struggles with the power play. Yes, they scored the 4-on-3-1 to win against Boston, but at your typical 5-on-4, it has been a struggle recently. So they're going for what I would call a a 1A, 1B approach on the power play based on how they lined up at morning skate. I'll give you, we'll call it 1A. So Philip Ronick on the point, Miller on the Right shot, so his one-time side. Garland on the on the other flank, so his one-time side. Besser in the middle in the bumper. Pugh Suter at the net front. So that's Hronick, Garland, Besser, Miller, and Pugh Suter. On the other one, you had Quinn Hughes lining up at the point. You had Elias Pettersson in his traditional spot on his one-time side. Tyler Myers on the other flank on the one-time side. Uh, Elias Lindholm in the bumper. And Arshdeep Baines the rookie at the net front. So just as we all predicted, uh, Quinn Hughes and Elias Patterson lining up with Tyler Myers and Arshdeep Baines on the power play here. What What's your reaction to seeing those new luck units, Transer? Well, sorry, did you read the uh, quote? No. So from Brendan Batchelor asked about blending the PP units, Rick Tockett responded as follows. Sometimes you need a breather from each other. Now, first of all, I don't want to be sensationalizing that. That's totally right. Like, you spent that week with Bruff, it's and great. it was great for us. Absence makes the heart grow I fonder. I was so excited to see you on Monday. <laughs> no, but truly, like, constructive working environments should occasionally cause some friction. Mm. If there's not at least a little bit of, like, healthy friction with with some... Yeah, some give and take, some pushback some, on ideas, right? right? Yeah. And, and, and obviously, you know, supported by sort of a baseline of respect, that's, like, important, especially when you're... Dom you know, had a bad idea just before the show. Did he? No, I'm joking. Oh, I liked that idea. I wasn't as crazy about I, it. I liked the idea. I just See, resen- this is what we're talking about. I liked the idea. I just resented it. Don't talk. Because it came from Dom. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was going to say, because you didn't come up with it. Yeah. No, no. I. That's... Anyway. I have no problem. Like, it makes sense to me that the Canucks would, given how competitive. Switch things up. Yeah, given how competitive the environment is, given how involved the players themselves are in, in some of the things they're trying, mm. um, given how much time you spend, you know, 25 minutes every day minimum doing just a pre-scout and a power play meeting, you know, it makes sense to try and just just take a breath, right? Take a beat, take a breath. I'd add this. Vancouver's lack of supporting threat on the power play has been an issue. I I mean, don't get me wrong. A power play goes as far as PP1 takes it in the the contemporary NHL. But you ideally want a little bit. You ideally want just like a little something, a little treat from your second power play unit here and there. And, And, you know, the guy who's been like the fixture... He's only spent one game promoted to PP1, has been Connor Garland. Mm -hmm. He's been on the ice for three power play goals all year. 80 minutes. I mean, you had that sequence. What was the game? The game was the one against the Avalanche, okay, where they had that late power play that looked gruesome, brutal, didn't even threaten. 
And because they were pushing in a, in a narrow game, what happens? Well, JT Miller, Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes start logging an outrageous haul of ice time as the game goes long because those guys being on the ice gives the Canucks their best chance of leveling the score. And the final power play opportunity late in the game, they're going to stay out for the entire two minutes. A minute and 50 seconds into it, JT Miller completely gassed in the corner, gets outmuscled by Sam Girard, mm -hmm. who gets the clear. Well, partly the reason that happens is the Canucks don't have a unit where it's like, okay, guys, you know, 70 seconds out there, go hard, come to the bench, take a breather, because I'm going to need you again six on five. Right. Like in those moments, Vancouver's lack of a supporting power play threat actually hurts their ability to come back. So trying to just build something, some kind of balance between these units, uh, this obviously is is an extreme example, but it does make some sense. Like one thing that this team can do to improve their power play is is just have a second unit that at least at least credibly threatens. And I will say, look, my natural instinct is there's a bunch of things I push back when it comes push back on when it comes to power play construction, right? Two defensemen. No, one defenseman. All right. Loading up. I, I'm always in favor of loading up your first unit. Get your best players out there. People will text in, you know, oh, put Zadorov or Myers in, in net front. They're so big. No, that's a gimmick. You need guys who can make skill plays. So my natural inclination is to look at this and say, this is overthinking it. Just put your, you, we know who your five best power play guys are. Put them out there. Put them in positions where they're comfortable. Let them figure this out. Let them work through it. Having said that, as much as that's my natural first blush response to this, the one thing the Canucks have working in their favor, I think, is that they have multiple guys who can be extremely credible power play maestros, right? Like, we've seen what JT Miller can maestros. do. We've seen what JT Miller can do running the show on the power play as a shooting threat, as a distributor, being the guy that the power play revolves around. Quinn Hughes can do that from the point they're on different units now so you have very viable legitimate high-end guys who can dictate the power play on both units the other thing I'll say is and this is not a, a this season thing but you know even when the the Canucks power play has been really really clicking Elias Pettersson is like sneakily not that involved in the power play often because so much of it does run through Quinn Hughes and JT Miller. And when they're scoring, it's not that big a deal. It's like, okay, whatever. He's he's kind of a decoy over there. He can still obviously make really impressive passes. He still does contribute. He's just not necessarily a main focus on the power play. I wonder if splitting them up a little bit, Hughes, Pettersson, and Lindholm are the three that kind of carry over from the top unit to that 1B unit. If splitting the... the the star players up a little bit maybe helps Pedersen when he is out there in his minutes get a little bit more involved in the power play, right? It's just it, 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 you you get away from the too many cooks thing where it's like, oh, there's so many guys who could be puck dominant parts of this power play. Now you're you're splitting them up a little bit. Too many cooks. Too many cooks. That was a, speaking of people who are our age. That was a classic. <laughs> that was a long time ago now. Exceptionally good. Very um, good. Anyway, so that's my thought. So I, I see what you're saying. Here's my counter to it: is you know how in um, you know how in baseball having good hitters actually like up and down your lineup. Like if you stack your lineup, the actual benefits of it are like greater than can be measured individually by WAR. There's like um an, an extrapolation sure. that occurs. I think it's kind of similar with an NHL power play where, and that's why I always say just load up your top unit. I, right. I, I just wonder. On the one hand, yes, both Miller and Pedersen and and Hughes can be sort of the center of gravity for a team five on four. But if you move Pedersen 
off of Miller's unit does he have as much space to operate? You know, like yep. how That's does a that? Fair question, how does right? that because impact? Because it's Tyler Myers over there, so how much attention are our teams going to pay to him? Can they flood the zone against Elias Pettersson? Yeah, yeah, like I, I, you know, well, and in, look. in in previous years, for example, like one thing that made um, the Canucks power play tick last year was that Horvat and Pettersson demanded so much attention mm-hmm. that you saw Andre Kuzmenko getting all these tap-ins because you know teams weren't going to leave Horvat no matter what. Right, you saw JT Miller have more space for that downhill wrist shot, which he's so good at unleashing around screens. Mm-hmm. In part because no one's going to front his side when they have a Bo Horvat a quick pop pass away and Pedersen on the other end. You know, there's a certain gravity whether he's you know involved or not that Pedersen brings. How does that impact things? And and likewise, right? Like Pedersen's not going to be able to get cross-seam feeds from JT Miller, one of the greatest passers in the league, five-on-four, there's an impact there. We'll see how it works. I'd say I'm not optimistic. I don't love this. I do think it's worth noting also, as much as we're dissecting and digging into it and how they could work, I would be stunned if we're in a playoff series and we're looking at a power play configuration that doesn't involve Pedersen, Hughes, and Miller on the ice together. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, this is – it's kind of jarring to see it. It's eye-popping. We'll hear more from Rick talking about it in the next segment. It's also almost certainly temporary, right? This is a, a bit of a – I look at it as almost a shock to the system. Hey, get guys out of their comfort zone a little bit. Just try something new, and then we know we have something we can fall back on at some point. But we're at such a point now where it's like, okay, let's just let's just try something totally different outside the box and see if that can give us uh, a jump start. That's what's going on with the lineup. Playoff forecast qu- quickly here. Uh, as I mentioned, Oilers win last night, so the Canucks' chances of winning the Pacific Division tick down just slightly – to 71% per Don Lucision's model at the Athletic. Projected still to finish with 109 points. It's essentially in a dead heat with Winnipeg and Dallas for first in the conference. So still lots on the line for the Canucks in these games. And as mentioned, you'd love to see them hold serve and match Edmonton win for win. Gambling odds, just want to note, Kale McCars struggled to produce points a fair bit so even though Quinn Hughes's points per bum. game rate is down since the all-star break well Hughes is only on like a 0.5 points per game pace since the all-star break himself uh you know p- pedestrian from these guys um, <laughs> the, the, uh no no but because Makar has sagged more uh Quinn Hughes is down to like almost minus 400 Woo! to win the Norris the Vancouver Canucks have never had a Norris winner and the betting market is telling you that that changes overwhelming. This year. Yeah. Um, by the way, likewise, Demko and Hellebuck. Hellebuck has separated himself from Demko by almost the same amount. Like you can now buy Demko to win the Vesna at like plus three eighty five. Hellebuck's actually an interesting heart dark horse. That's how good he's been. So, no, it says less about Demko and I think more about what Hellebuck has done. Uh, odds for tonight. Canucks minus 154 home favorites. That's sort of a consensus line. The total sits at, uh, excuse me, six and a half at the moment with a little bit more steam on the over. Uh, These two teams played pretty high octane last time they went head to head. So maybe chase that steam on the over. All right. That's it for the whiteboard today. Lots more to get into here. We'll hear from Rick Tockett, some of his thoughts about the new look power play configuration. Uh, lots more coming up here. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Get your texts in. It is Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650.